Good morning. Uh, it's been a little while since I've been up here, and and uh, there's always a little bit of nerves. Uh, this morning, about 8:30, Bev asked me how I was doing, uh, knowing that I'd be up here speaking, and I says, "Well, I says in about three hours I'll be really good <laughs> because I'll know I have done done my my lesson." And it's not, I told her, it's not with speaking in front of a group uh, that I really have any difficulties with. I'm always worried that I'm getting the message across like I want to. And, and, and Bev can attest to this, that there's times when I say things and I know exactly what I mean. But that's not what I say or that's not the way that she necessarily understands it. And, and if any of you have ever suffered from a moment like that, uh, you, you know it can be potentially stressful, and, and you, you need to reword how you're saying things to make sure that that other person understands what you're saying. So I'm going to start this morning by saying, as you're listening, and if there's anything that I say that seems confusing, please see me afterwards, because this is... And I told Bev, I says, this is just too important to, to make a mistake about. So, again, if, if I say something, uh, please come and see me, because I don't want, it, want there to be uh, any confusion. So, as you can see, the, the lesson from today's lesson uh, is, is, are you sure? So, I'm not sure about you, but, you know, have you ever had doubts about something? And there's a, a big range of things that, that we can have doubts about. And as we grow older, uh, I think these doubts uh, tend to be of a more significant nature. So, now as a child, you may have had doubts about what you might receive for a birthday present. You know, you could have been dropping hints to your mom and your dad to your brothers and sisters, and maybe even your grandparents, you know, the, the last few weeks before your birthday, you know, trying to let them know exactly what you want for your birthday, in, in hopes that that's what you're going to receive. As a teenager, there may be a boy or a girl uh, that you like, but you doubt that they like you the same way. Even though you may see them, you know, stealing those glances at you, and even if your friends tell you that he or she likes you, likes you, there can still be that thought of unbelief in your mind. Now after you've finished your schooling and you start your career, there can be those times, you know, that the, the boss continues to tell you that you're doing a good job, uh, your co-workers enjoy working with you, um, and, and your performance reviews are, are always positive, and, and there's a promotion that, that's coming up, but you still have doubts that if you apply for that promotion, that you're going to receive it. Why do we do that? Why does it always seem easier for someone else to see that we should have confidence about the outcome of a situation. Yet we seem to lack that confidence that things are going to turn out like we would want them to. So now, right now, 
I will share with you my answer to that question. I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know why we do that. Um, I know that if I had the answer to that question, I, I probably would have written a best-selling book. Uh, I would probably, you know, be a motivational speaker going around telling people the answer to that question. Um, not that traveling around the world right now is, is the safest thing to do, but uh, that being said, maybe getting out of Manitoba uh, would be safer than, than sticking around our province right now. But anyways, uh, again, I don't know that answer. But the three things that I've listed, the birthday present, the crush, and the work promotion would all feel very important at that time in our lives. And I know, because I've gone through all three of those. And I admit I was anxious about the outcome of all three, even though my anxiousness did not affect the outcome. Now, about a month ago, on a Wednesday night study, kind of the, to me, the topic or question of doubt was discussed, and, and that's what's brought me to today's lesson. Uh, Wayne was leading the class that evening, and Cor Corey was away, and this was the question that he asked, and I may not have it word for word, but he said, do you deep, 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 down inside yourself, know that you are saved? Um, now the point I believe he was trying to make was, uh, you know, are we a hundred percent sure that when we die or if Christ returns, do you know that you are saved? So am I sure? Am I sure of that? Had Wayne simply asked, do you know that you are saved? I would have said yes immediately. No hesitation. Even if he would have added one more deep. If he would have just said, do you deep, deep down inside know? I would have said yes, but maybe not quite as quickly. But as he kept adding more deeps, it made me question myself a little more. And I started becoming a little more unsure of my answer. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was not the intent Wayne had Wednesday night. And, and that's not the intent I have this morning either. I don't want you to start questioning your eternity. Because if you have accepted Jesus and followed his plan of salvation, you can have that confidence. If, not, if you have not done this, this, this lesson isn't meant to scare anyone either. Uh, but I do hope that if nothing else... Maybe it, it forms a few questions in your mind if you haven't done that. Now I said that, you know, earlier that I had started to question myself a little bit more. And that in my estimation is the key point to what I want to talk about. I have absolute faith in God's ability and God's promises. It's my imperfection that I have the doubts about. And if you have any doubts about the power of God, just pick up your Bible and start reading the first chapter and think about it for a few minutes. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1. So he took nothing and created everything that we see on earth, in the seas, in the sky. He even created things that we can't see. Heaven, angels, our souls. Now I would challenge scientists to take a, a room full of nothing, like absolutely nothing. Uh, you create a vacuum where there's, there's no molecules, no atoms. Take this room of absolute nothing and create something with it. Now keep in mind, they have no tools to use to create something. Basically they have an empty room of nothing and ask them to create anything. I, I, I know it can't be done and, and they can't do it. And, and, and to me, they can't explain how from nothing an explosion or a big bang can happen uh, to form of the earth, the solar system, and everything that, that we know that came into existence. Because if there's nothing there to explode, how do you get the earth and solar system? I've heard it said that it takes more faith to believe that that could happen than it does to believe that there is a supreme power a grand designer, a God that created everything. Now that's a bit of an aside for my lesson and probably a, a future lesson down the road. As we read in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my way, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So now you're probably thinking, uh, this is great, John. I, I get it. God is all-powerful. Uh, but really, pardon me, um, lost my spot. And, and, and God is the creator of everything, and we do not have the knowledge of all of God's plans. But how does this help me overcome my doubts? Well, I'm hoping that the examples that I want to share with you uh, shows that it's not uncommon or unusual to have doubts. There are going to be times in our lives that we are not 100% sure of ourselves. The key being ourselves. But I hope that we will see that we can always be 100% sure of God. Now from the Bible, I'd like to share a couple of these examples, uh, starting with Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 17, pardon me, verses 7 through 13. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their, their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt. 
But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, to, and God said I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now I have to give Moses credit. Throughout all of this, he stayed and talked with God. I'm not sure that I would have. Uh, I think I would have pulled a Jonah, and I would have hightailed it out of there. But you can hear the doubt in Moses' voice. In verse 11, he asks, Who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In verse 13, he says, Suppose I go. What shall I say? Moses wanted all of the I's dotted and the T's crossed. I think, hoping that if God did not have an answer, he wouldn't have to go. But God tells Moses what to do to get the Israelites ready to leave, leave that captivity. In uh, chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Well, back in chapter 3, verse 18, God has already told Moses that the Israelite elders would listen to him. So Moses still has that doubt. In, in chapter 4, verse 12, he gives more Verse 10, he gives more excuses. He says, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So again, Moses giving more excuses, more doubt, but God responds. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. In verse 13, Moses again begs God to send someone else. By now, God is getting angry, but he allows Aaron to join Moses when talking with the Pharaoh. Throughout all of this scene, God is telling Moses that he, God, is going to do this. Three, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I have come down. I am sending you to the Pharaoh. I will be with you. I have promised. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So because God knows this, what does he say in verse 20? I will stretch out my hand. And in the end, I will make them favorably disposed. So throughout all of this, God is telling Moses that he is doing all of the work. I will take care of the hard stuff, God says. You just relay the message to Pharaoh. Tell him what I'm telling you. 
Now, have you ever read through this and thought, what's wrong with you, Moses? You survived being killed by Pharaoh when you were a baby. You grew up as a prince. You've now talked with God, and he's shown you his power. He turned your staff into a snake and then back to a staff again. He turned your healthy hand into a white leprous hand and then healthy again. How can you not jump at the chance to obey his commands? We need to be a little careful, I think, thinking this way, and I'll explain that later. Now, there's another group uh, of individuals that had doubts about God's plan and about what Jesus had promised. From the scripture reading that, uh, from the scripture reading that uh, Darcy gave us in John 20 and verse uh, 19 to 23. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After, the, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I won't bother reading the next verse. But. So what I'd like you to do now is take a moment to think about this situation and kind of the last 72 hours that the apostles have gone through. I'm not sure if you remember Wayne's assignment from last uh, Sunday at the table. Uh, he had given us the assignment to read through any version of the crucifixion as if you're reading through it for the first time. So I'm going to ask you today to uh, do a little bit of imagining as well and, and uh, as we continue through the lesson here. So what I'd like you to do is imagine that you are one of Christ's apostles. And you don't know the rest of the story. You don't have the Bible like we do today. So from our reading, you're in a locked room because you're afraid. You know that the body of Jesus is not in the tomb. You know, you've either gone down to the tomb to see it yourself, or you've heard it from those that you trust. So you have to start wondering, I think, what's next? What's going to happen? And you're wondering what has happened. Remembering that you've spent roughly the last three years with Jesus. Okay? So, you've heard him speak. You've heard him teach. And you know how he speaks. He speaks of one that knows. You've seen him basically embarrass the Pharisees and other leaders of the Jewish faith with his knowledge. You've seen him calm raging seas by just speaking it. The seas and the wind he can calm by just telling it to. You've seen him feed thousands of people with food that should only feed a small family. You've seen him heal the sick, the blind, the leprous. You've even seen him bring people back to life. You have believed that he is the Messiah and was sent from God to save his people. But now, he's dead and his body is missing. So you've been a witness to all of this for the last three years. So now you're in that upper room. Let's take a walk back to the previous 72 hours. Again, putting yourself in that position as an apostle. 
and try and think of what your options might have been. So to me, the first question is, were you there to witness his death on the cross? We know that there are, are some believers there that have seen it, but not all of us are listed. Did you come to his defense with the Jewish leaders? Did you come to his defense with Herod? Or even with Pilate? Once Jesus was taken into custody, custody, did you even acknowledge that you knew him? We know that Peter did not. In the garden, when they came to capture Jesus, did you come to his defense? Again, we know that Peter did and even cut off an ear. But what about the rest of us? What did we do? You go with Jesus to Gethsemane and he asks you to keep watch while he prays. What do you do? Do you fall asleep like the others? Not once. Not twice. But three times do you fall asleep? I won't read this passage, but if you, if you like, Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46, it talks about Jesus going off these three times, and each time coming back to finding his disciples asleep. During the last meal that you eat, will eat with Jesus, do you show him the reverence and respect he deserves by looking after his needs? No. It's Jesus that humbles himself and washes our feet. So taking all of this into perspective, knowing all that you have seen and heard, having an expectation from Jesus, from what he's been teaching you these last three years, he's now dead and gone, do you think there might be some doubt in your mind in that upper room? How can this man Jesus be gone after all he has taught us and all the miracles he has performed for others. Now fortunately God does not leave them in this state very long. Luke 24 verses 36 to 49 is another account of, of the same uh, reading that Darcy gave us. And in verse 45 there it says, He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. God was there to help them overcome any doubt they had about the plan of salvation for mankind. In the book of Acts we read that on the day of Pentecost the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to preach the gospel. Their doubts and fears were replaced with knowledge and conviction in what they believed. God has provided us with a similar power. He's provided us with the written word which is up to us to study and understand so that our minds will be open and we can eliminate those seeds of doubt that may be, may be present. And if you haven't, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. After that, once you've taken those steps, we all need to continue to follow His commands to the best of our ability, knowing that the best of our ability is never reached. We can continually grow and mature in our knowledge and faith in God. 
So for me, the confusing part again comes down to thinking that I need to do more to ensure my salvation. But it's not me that has the power. It's God. God has the power to provide me with salvation. Now again, I hope that in both of these examples, Moses and the apostles that we see, yes, they did go and do what God commanded, but it's not their power or ability that achieved the final results. It was not the power of Moses that delivered the Israelites from Egypt. It was not the power of the apostles that would save those that accepted God's grace through baptism. It is always the power of God. It's the power of the shed blood of Christ that washes away our sin. 1 John 2, 28, And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. And in 1 John 4, 15, 17, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Again, please notice the highlighted word confidence in this scripture. Confidence being the opposite of doubt. My hope again with this, with this lesson is to try and show that the people written in the Bible and, and, and people that I see as great examples of believing and following God's commandments were not perfect. They too had doubts and fears, but in the end, they overcame these doubts and fears and put their trust and faith in God. And from that point on, they worked at being better Christians. Now, did they stumble probably? Yes. But they continued to grow and do what God had asked them to do. Now, remember how I said we should not be too quick to fault Moses or too quick to question the apostles? God has talked to us. He's given us the necessary tool to do His will. The question is, how well are we doing? Again, in the end, the, the examples given for us today uh, can help us in our walk of faith in God. And in answer to the title of today's lesson, I hope that we will all be able to confidently say, Yes, I am.